All right, test, test, test. I'm on, on, coming, coming, here I am. All right, uh, children, four years old through fifth grade, this is the time to get up and follow your leader, leaders, plural, to go to your, your version of what we get to hear today. So excited to start kind of a new series. Today, we are going to be in the story of reality Christmas. We've been in the story of reality that we started, but there's different chapters in this story. And even after Christmas, we're going to go through some chapters uh, as we go. The story of reality Jesus, the story of reality finale is coming in 2023. Uh, I don't have a preview for that movie, but uh, it's going to be good. I'm excited about it. All right. I'm going to begin today with um, a... Trivia question, and and when I say trivia, man, it is trivia. Um, And this trivia question is just for me to get you involved, and I actually have a connection as to why I'm doing this. So here's the question on the screen. Don't worry, I will not embarrass you. Do not answer out loud until we get through this question. I will check to see what your answers are in a moment. Where, I'm Jim Hammond, by the way, (laughs) just in case you're a guest. Remember, I said this is a trivia question. Where was Jim Hammond born? Hollywood, California, San Jose, California, or Tokyo, Japan? How many of you say A, he was born in Hollywood, California? Hands up, hands up, uh, uh, don't look around. How many of you say B, San Jose, California? Okay, and how many of you say C, Tokyo, Japan? Fooled you. All right. I was born on furlough. And yes, many of you knew that I was a missionary's child, and I was, my dad was there 16 years, and I was only there eight years. I was born on furlough. If you said A, you were correct. I was born in Hollywood, California. All right? Remember, I said this is trivia, trivia. But there's a reason for this, and I'm going to get to that reason. We're going to play a little bit more of an imagination game now. Imagine if my parents did like, we have this family tradition Uh, We've done this now with our grandchildren. Everybody in the family, uh, upon the arrival of grandchild coming, before the arrival, long before the arrival, we all write down guesses as to the date of arrival and the pounds and the inches to see who gets the closest and win the grand prize. It's usually not really much of a prize. But anyway, we play this game to see who can win. But I want us to imagine many, many years ago, when my parents were just married, what if they played this game and they were trying to make predictions about how many kids they would have, how many of them would be boys, how many of them would be girls, and uh, where would they be born, and just wrote it in an envelope. They didn't do this, obviously, but, and then they could not compare notes, and they were going to put it in a sealed envelope to be opened 20 years later. They figure that's long enough to know that the answers are in. And 20 years later, they're going to compare notes. And what if that would have happened? What do you think the odds are that, first of all, that they both agreed on their prediction? Absolutely. Very low odds, even though they knew each other well, known each other enough to want to be married, shared lots of conversations. Even then, their agreement, the odds are they're not going to agree. And what are the odds they'd get it exactly right and agree? The odds are hugely against them that they get it right. Now, 
Fast forward 20 years, if we opened this pretend envelope, we would discover that five children were born, three of them were boys, two of them were girls, and three of them were born in Japan, and two of them were born in the United States. Now, who would have guessed that? What would be the odds then that if we expanded this prediction game and we asked our parents, <laughs> my parents, in that initial stage, please don't just predict three items, we want you to predict a hundred items. And they have to be very, very detailed. So each of you write down a hundred items and write this down and we'll put it in this sealed envelope. What are the odds that they're going to get all hundred correct? Zippo, zilch. Would they have predicted that on my 17th birthday that my father would have given me this Bible? No. But my father gave me this Bible on my 17th birthday. What are the odds that they would have guessed that in 1991 that their number four child, their number three son, would move to Cottonwood, Arizona to become a preacher? They would have never guessed that. Would they have guessed, I'm glad they couldn't guess such things, that just a couple of months later, my mother, at age 57, would pass away? No. Would they have guessed that two years after that, that this said son would stand up holding the Bible that my dad gave me to officiate at his father's wedding? Who would guess something like that as this widowed Man now marries again. The odds of guessing those hundred things are astronomically, impossibly going to come together for a pair of human beings. But we have in this Bible, in this fatter section of this Bible, over 300 predictions that came fulfilled exactly in the coming of Jesus to such detail that you have to say, how is that possible? Not just with two people in complete agreement who knew each other and lived at the same time and lived in the same house, with many, many people making these prophecies over the course of thousands of years and all of this agreement is coming together precisely with detailed prophecies about Jesus. That, my friends, is miraculous. Some of us read the Bible like this. Yawn, yawn. Oh, it's the Old Testament again. We get to, Jenna, to Matthew and we start reading the genealogies. Why are the genealogies in there? This is so boring. Hello! This is so miraculous. I can't think of anything else that is more concrete in evidence for miracles taking place right before our eyes where we have undeniable, concrete, ancient manuscripts verifiably speaking these predictions that cannot be discarded. Even the translation in the Greek was 250 years before Jesus. And we have found these manuscripts. They're not manipulated. And there's detailed predictions about Jesus. It's like, even if you experience a miracle in your life, you're gonna doubt it. 
But when you have it written down before you for everybody to see and evidence for everybody to study and to take a look at, it's like miracles right before our eyes. I don't know what that does for you, but it's not yon yon. It's like my faith just goes soaring the more I see this. It's like, is there anything more evidential and concrete and objective that we can take a look at than this? Well, welcome to the story of reality, Christmas. Want to hear more? I would love that. Isaiah 46, verse 10, reads, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Only God can, from the beginning, make predictions with 100% accuracy. And only because God predicted to the prophets these precise revelations, and we need to understand how this gets into the Bible. The prophets knew when prophecies came. They knew that this was very important. And so they write the prophecy and we have the prophecy written in documents for us. And everybody knew as it's coming out because it's related to the covenant how important it is that it's then kept and studied and treasured because more is coming and it hasn't come yet. And we get to look back at what has already come and we get to look forward on what is yet to come and we have a 100% track record behind us. Are you ho-humming with me? It's like, yeah, we knew that. It is amazing when you think about that, that God could from ancient times tell us the end with that kind of precision through his prophets and we have that miraculously in the documents for us to consider. If you haven't been reading the Bible lately, I hope you will. It is a miraculous book. If you have trouble believing in God, why are you not reading more? I'll ask you this question and I'll answer it. It's on the screen. How many prophecies did Jesus fulfill just by his coming and his life on earth? Conservatively, Jesus fulfilled at least 300 prophecies in his earthly ministry. Now, one scholar had 451, another scholar had 350, and another scholar. So it's conservatively over 300. We just showed you, uh, just you know, from the story of my parents in a hypothetical scenario, imagining it to be so, we know intuitively even 100 predictions about one particular person that they don't even know was coming, coming true like that. We, no, it doesn't happen. Now, when you put 300 over thousands of years, people that don't even know each other writing this down the way it's written down, you know that there's an author behind the story of history. You tracking with me? That's why we're calling this the story of reality. Because how you view history is really important. 
and it's real. So, point number one. This is great news. You don't have to abandon your brain to believe. A lot of people think that today. You've been trained to think that faith is not facts, and faith is you gotta abandon your brain. No, that is not true. The Lord God says use your brain. In fact, use your brains to the degree that you love the Lord your God with all your mind. Don't hold back when you have doubts. Look, look, look. Question, 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 but look for answers because they're there. Every time you've got one that you don't have an answer for, just hold it loosely because answers are there. You keep using your brain. You don't have to abandon your brain to believe. I'm going to give us a quick overview of the fat portion of the Bible as it relates to this topic of Christmas predicted. There's some not specifically Christmas items in the predictions that keep getting narrower and narrower as we get there. And so let's just begin at the beginning. And the beginning of our series, we recalled together that at the beginning, that already was predicted to Adam and Eve, who in a sense become prophetic as they pass this along, that here's the word of God, that the seed of a woman would crush the head of the serpent. Remember that prediction? We spent a lot of time on that. And that that's gonna set the tone for the promise to come. And that was Genesis 3.15. What was the date? We don't know. Let's just call it the beginning, okay? Now let's move fast forward to 2000 BC. We also looked at this briefly last week in Genesis chapter 12. That seed of the woman now is narrowed down to the seed of Abraham. When I say the seed, it's a particular descendant is gonna come through, not just a woman way in the future, but it's gonna come through Abraham, and it's going to come through the nation that God produces when he promised this to Abraham, and we have this seed of promise in Genesis 12. That's 2000 BC. Let's fast forward now to 1500 BC. We're taking big chunks, right? Now we're moving in history. There's a lot of reading. Finish Genesis. We get to Exodus. Now we're at Moses, 1500 BC. And then Moses says in Deuteronomy 18:15, he says, There's going to be a coming prophet who's like me. You need to listen to him. And there's this prediction that this not just any person, this seed of the woman that's coming is going to be like Moses. And boy, when you read the Gospels, all the ways that he's like Moses is amazing. And he's coming. Let's move forward from there, 1500 BC. Let's jump another 500 years to the time of David. And with David in 2 Samuel 7, we get from David that this particular prophet, this particular coming one, this particular person that's going to be the seed of the woman that's going to crush the serpent's head is going to be a king. And he's going to reign forever. And then there's repeated prophecies that just start coming in quick succession now. We don't have to wait a long time. Boom, 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 boom. More and more about this coming Messiah, this Christ, who's going to be a prophet and will reign forever, and he's going to reign on the throne of David, and he's the descendant of David. Pretty incredible stuff. Now let's get more specific as we move to some Christmas prophecies. Point number two. We must use our minds to understand the signs. Use our minds to understand the signs. 
We're going to move to 734 BC. The prophet Isaiah reveals a sign to identify this king. Now we know this from the context. He's already been saying a lot of things about the, the Christ and the coming one, the, the shoot of uh, David that's coming. Isaiah 7:14, "Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel." Now, it's a sign, but it's also a mystery. The mystery is, they're going, how is it that a virgin is going to conceive? And how is it that a conceived child is going to be called Emmanuel? What child possibly could be called God with us? Is that just a name to point us to the fact that God is with us? Well, we already know that. What is the point of this sign? What is all going on here? And so they're looking for, what does this mean? They don't really figure out what this means until he comes. Maybe there was a provisionary way in which it made sense to them in that time, but the ultimate fulfillment comes later. We must use our minds to understand the signs. Now, this mystery is a particular stumbling block to the Jews. The Jews recite every day that our God is one. There's only one God. And they know that God is spirit. So they can't even put the categories together like we quickly do, that God is triune, that he's more complex than we realized, that it actually fits the data from the beginning all the way through, that he is Father, God, and the Son of God, and the Spirit of God, one God. Three persons of that one God. I mean, that too, just saying it, do I understand it? It's mysterious. It's mystery. But we've got to use our brain to try to figure out what every teaching is about this. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. The concept is throughout it. We've got to use our brain to try to piece it together and see how it works. How is that possible? Yet God says it. How can a virgin conceive? This is a stumbling block for so many people today. But remember way back in the first episode of the story of reality at Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And that when we sort of really looked at that, we realized that makes a lot of sense. That God is the self-existent one who starts everything else. Hello. If the heavens and the earth can be started out of nothing because God started it, why would you have a problem with a virgin birth? You have a virgin creation from nothing to everything because God speaks it into existence. A virgin birth is not that tough to believe if God says that's going to happen, that I'm going to produce the channel through which I will introduce my son, who's fully God and fully man, through a woman, but I won't use a man. Why? Because he needs to be the second Adam, and as the second Adam, he needs to be my son, fully God, and human, 
fully empathize with our weaknesses, and succeed where Adam failed. Hmm. Mystery. But it shouldn't be a stumbling block. Let's look at what else Isaiah reveals. Isaiah 9.6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Some scholars say that's separated. He will be called Wonderful. He will be called Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Questions. How can a child be born who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God? There's only one Mighty God. We think of him as the Almighty. There's only one Almighty And every time this kind of phrase is used in scripture, it's always a phrase referring to God. How is it that there's going to be a child born, a human-born child called Almighty? How is it that he who is human, mortal, going to be everlasting father? How is it that he's going to be not just a king? By the way, the context here, if you read back, you know that we're talking about the Christ the coming Messiah, the hopes by this time have been really built up with all of the prophecies. There's coming Christ, the son of David, who's gonna reign forever. He's gonna be the deliverer. He's gonna the king, be the king, our Messiah, the Christ. Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek. For this coming one who is gonna reign forever. How is this possible? The hint is already in the first line. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Who is the child born to? Us. That's weird. It's the weirdest birth announcement ever. The child is born to parents. Whoever announces a child born to us? Here's the birth announcement. A child is born to us. No, it's the birth announcement is born to parents. And then the second part is even weirder. He's a son given. He's not just a born child and a born child for all of us, but he's a given child. So it implies gift given, gift already in existence, gift given. I always run into Christians because they don't really know very much yet who still think that Christ didn't exist until Christmas. Christ existed from the beginning, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. If you read the New Testament, the whole creation was created through Jesus, who is the spoken word of God. Okay? So he's there from the beginning, and he is the gift given, and the gift came to us at Christmas. So the hint is already there. Who is the child born to? Us. Again, strangest birth announcement ever. What does it mean? Let's move now to 700 BC. So we haven't moved that much far forward. Remember, we're, when we go from 734 to 700, we're still moving forward because we're talking BC, okay? 734 or 700 BC is Micah's prophecy about the city of David in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one 
who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, of old, from ancient times. When you talk about the origins of old, that's sometimes a label for God himself. His origins are from old, from ancient times. It's a way of saying forever, always been with us. So here's this child that's going to be born at a particular location who's been with us forever. Weirdest birth announcement ever, weirdest prediction in this strange little town that's real close to Jerusalem where David was a shepherd. And why was David a shepherd? Because more lambs were born in Jerusalem than, I mean, in Bethlehem than people. Why? Bethlehem was a place where there are lots and lots of shepherds. Hello, Christmas story. (laughs) And why are there lots and lots of shepherds? Because Bethlehem and all these shepherds were producing little lambs. And little lambs were produced, why? Because Jerusalem is right nearby. This little farm community is providing sacrificial lambs for temple sacrifices. Mary had a little lamb. His fleece was white as snow. Why Bethlehem? Well, on an earthly level, you could say, because... The Romans insisted. Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus, who does this? At least we're smart enough when we do a census. We send people door to door. You, send, you pay one person, send people door to door. You don't jam up every freeway, every highway, everything. For Everybody has to travel now to their ancestral home and register for the census. But the Romans did it the other way, and everybody has to travel. It's extremely inconvenient when you're in your last trimester, traveling as far as Nazareth to Bethlehem. And I don't think they thought they were going to deliver on this trip. But God's timing was perfect. With all of these things coming together just so. Galatians 4, 4 reads, But when the set time had fully come. Now, if you were to study this phrase, it's like when you're talking about history, it's like history is now pregnant, and history's time has come. It's perfect timing, and here is this deliverance now of all of the prophetic stuffs coming true. Really, really long pregnancy. But the seed of the woman has now arrived. And we're going to talk about this some more as we continue in this series. God sent his son, born of a woman. Mary had a little lamb. His fleece was white as snow. When that little lamb was 30 or so, he was baptized by a prophet who was in his estimation, this is Jesus' words, in some views, the least of the prophet, prophets, but in other views, the greatest of the prophets because he's right there in the transition. He's least of all compared to what we get to experience. 
greatest of all compared to what the Old Testament experienced. And he sees Jesus after his baptism approaching him again. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he knows when he says it, he's speaking a prophecy from God. The white fleece absorbed our sins. To do so, he bled out. This unblemished lamb was born for us. This lamb was God's son given to us. Point number three. Believe the prophecies and receive the son. If you want to get the gospel in one sentence, Here's a popular way of putting it. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John also writes, he who receives the Son receives life. A gift has to be received or it's not yours. The Old Testament birth announcement, as strange as it was, is not the only strange birth announcement. You read strange birth announcements in the New Testament as well. I got a strange birth announcement about 30 years ago in a Christmas card. And it, at first, was just beautiful. And then it hit me. Here's the front of the card. Unto you is born this day. We got an imprint of an infant foot there. And I opened up the card and this is what I saw as Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That's Luke 2, verse 11. The dot, dot, dot includes the phrase that he was born in the city of David in fulfillment of Micah's prophecy. There's so many details we're going to look at together. Today we're just looking at how it has been predicted. Next week we're going to look at how it was anticipated and how hard that was to anticipate. And then we're going to look at celebrating. Christmas predicted, Christmas anticipated, Christmas celebrated. But right here, right now, today, please know, even if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ 
and you received all that grace and all that mercy for your forgiveness in the past. And you are so overjoyed that your sins are covered and you're going to heaven. Please know that you are not a grace graduate. That every day you need to come before the Lord Jesus and open up his grace gifts for the day. Because apart from those gifts, you don't have what it takes to give God glory today. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Come to Jesus today, believers. And those of you who are on the edge and you know that you need Jesus and you need to get square with God, Jesus is your savior. Jesus is your gift. Jesus will take the penalty of your sin and release you from its penalty and supercharge you with his presence by giving you the gift of the Holy Spirit because you're washed clean by his blood and resurrected with him so you receive resurrection power through his spirit as he promised. And that is no yawning matter. And if you are ho-hum about your walk with Jesus, today is a day of repentance. It's time to live for him. And may your whole life be an offering of worship to him. He gave his life for you. Will you live for him? Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to have your word so readily accessible in our lives. Help us to be people of your word, so much so that we know it. And we know it in such a way that it makes a difference. And we know it in such a way that we can't help but to proclaim its truths. The good news that have transformed us that we just can't stop talking about you and helping other people to want you as well. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and for giving us life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Got a prayer team to the left of the stage. If you need prayer about anything, they'd be happy to pray for you. See you next week for Christmas Anticipated. <laughs>